Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. Our featured speaker for today is Pastor Kerry Nance. He is the pastor of Southside Baptist Church, and that's in Tampa, Florida. Pastor Nance was saved, baptized as a young boy under the ministry of Landmark Baptist Church in Haines City, Florida. He met his wife, Amy, while attending Bible college, both he and his wife, from pastor's homes, blessed with godly heritages. They were married in 1993, serving on staff at Calvary Baptist Church, In 1996, he became the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, served there until 2003, and in August of 2003, the Lord led them to Tampa, Florida, where they started the church later that year. November 23rd, the Southside Baptist Church was organized with 19 charter members. Pray that you enjoy the message by Pastor Kerry Nance uh, here on the Baptist Pulpit. Thank you, brother. It's been a joy to be here this week. Thank you so much for so many of you that have been faithful and uh, just been uh, in the house of God each night. And uh, I just want to say what a blessing the uh, mission house has been, the uh, place over there. It's just been really nice, and I appreciate that and the facilities there. And uh, I can tell that. Uh, uh, y'all put some emphasis in that and uh, just different things in there that are sharp, washer and dryer. We were able to do some laundry today, and that's a, that's a blessing. And things like that, if I can just say this, things like that just says that you have a heart for missions. And I appreciate that spirit, appreciate the heart that's here. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the book of Genesis tonight. 39, Genesis 39. Pastor was uh, showing us the town and showing us the um, train station down there, and uh, what a beautiful area uh, there. Beautiful weather we've had this week, amen? And uh, just appreciate the kindness and the fellowship that Amy and I have been able to have with your pastor and pastor's wife, and it's been a blessing to get to know them and spend some time uh, with them this week. If you have your Bible and uh, are in Genesis 39, would you stand with me? And we're going to be looking at verse 7. Genesis 39 and verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. 
and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I like how the Bible phrases that. It's pretty clear. I hear people say, boy, King James Bible, it's difficult to read. I really don't think it is. When he got him out, he got him out. Well, let's pray and let's go to the Word tonight and uh, let's let God speak to our heart. Father, tonight we pray for your help and we pray for insight into the Word of God. And I pray that you would bless us and give us your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to encourage you tonight. Uh, You know, I hear some people say, well, you know, he's a preacher. And then I hear other people say, well, he's not a preacher. He's more of a teacher. I think that biblical preaching ought to have teaching in it. And tonight I want to, I'm going to be preaching, but I I really want to encourage uh, especially some of our young men. Uh, and weren't you blessed by the special music tonight? Um, you know, I, I, I really was hoping I'd be a part of the quartet. I wore the right suit, white shirt, blue tie, and uh, they chose not to call me up tonight. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting over that. Uh, but seriously, seriously, I, I hope that you'll take a pen and paper tonight and not just mentally put some notes down, but that you'll write some things down. And I'm praying tonight, um, honestly, my my goal tonight is this. Uh, There are some messages like last night that God does a work in our heart about brokenness, but I'm hoping tonight will be an anchor or a, if I can say this, a, a, a tent stake in your life. And that you'll, you'll, you'll take the hammer tonight, and, and, and maybe you've already driven some stakes down, but I'm hoping tonight you'll take a sledgehammer and you'll just drive some things a little bit deeper into your heart. As we looked at last night with the life of Joseph, we understand the sovereignty of God that he has been sold and taken into Egypt, a foreign country, an idolatrous country, and... We also noticed in Joseph's life that there is a drastic difference in chapter 39 than in chapter 37. We read read about uh, how that he found grace and how that the Lord was with him and the Lord uh, made him to prosper and all that was under his hand, uh, the Lord allowed that to prosper and how that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that is evident and it's kind of emphasize in the first part of chapter 39. And then we find that as we look at Joseph's life and we see this, if I can use this word, this anointed young man, that's what he is. 
this anointed young man who has set his heart in an ungodly world to follow God and to live by grace, it, it, it's, it's amazing to me that of all the stories we have and of all the things that have happened in Joseph's life that we pick up in verse 6 and immediately we find Joseph in temptation. It's not just Joseph that was in temptation. I'm reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ. That after he was baptized by John the Baptist and began his ministry, that immediately after his baptism, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the wicked one. Is that not true? And I I just want to challenge all of us tonight that if you are going to live godly in this ungodly world, there is a bull mark bullseye on on your back. There's a target on your back, and there is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I find that Joseph here, it's, it's, it's no doubt in my mind that of all the servants, Satan would use this wicked woman to cast her eyes upon the man of God. That's no accident, friends. It's not just a well, you know, she just likes him. No, 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 no. I, I'm convinced there were many servants that were there. There were many men on this property, and Satan was involved in this, and he was on a full front to take down the man of God. And so I want to challenge us tonight that if you're going to be a man of God, and, and I, I want to I also say this tonight. I I don't want us to kind of say, well, go get them, preacher. This one's for the men. I'm a woman. I can kind of tune out because we don't have problems like those men. No, no, no. Let Let me just say something. If you're born again and you love God, Satan's after you. Male or female, he cares not. And, and I, I want to just challenge you tonight that whether you're, you, you're a female tonight and you hear this message and you say, well, this is about a man and this is about lust and it's about a woman and I'm, I'm out of it. I really don't, this is not about me. Then you are uh, being uh, deceived as well. I want to remind you that in the garden, Satan went after Eve first. And I don't, I don't have time to preach this tonight, but I'm just going to challenge you that Satan is after the woman. And he, he realized that, that the, the crack into the home of the Garden of Eden was through Eve, and then secondly through Adam. And so there's, there's no one here that's exempt from the message tonight. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let's, let's look at this. And I want us to notice a couple of principles that, that God gives us through the life of Joseph. Now, first of all, if I can take just a moment to understand who Satan is using. No doubt he's using the lust of the flesh, and he's using what Proverbs 6 and 7 would refer to as the strange woman. Uh, the strange woman, it's interesting how Proverbs 6 and 7 gives us a great Bible study on the strange woman. We're reminded that she is loud, that she's aggressive, and her feet abide not in her house. And I listen to this woman, and I see how she is the dominant one, the aggressive one. She is not submissive. She is is that, that one. She is seductive. She's seductive, if I can say it this way. She is 
she is sensually minded and not spiritually minded. She is earthly minded and not godly minded. She is carnally minded and not uh, led by the spirit. And so because she is sensual, her clothes, her speech, her ways are all driven by the lusts of the flesh and her desire is to entice Joseph. Can I get an amen on that? By the way, we as God's people ought to be just the opposite. We, 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 we ought to not be sensually minded, but spiritually minded. And, and, and notice here that she begins to give these the, the proposition of sin. She offers him forbidden, uh, forbidden fruit. Uh, stolen bread is sweet. Stolen waters are sweet. What you cannot have is what you long to have. That, that of all the trees in the garden, that, that why would God keep that fruit from you? Because it was not God's will for you to have that. And the proposition was found here in this passage in verse 7, where she cast her eyes. That literally means that she began to desire things that were not uh, intended for her. She cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. And then you'll notice here in verse 10, not only the proposition of sin, but the persistence of sin. The Bible would talk about how that she would try to break him down. And by the way, that's how sin and temptation works in our life. It's not just, it's just not one punch and then we're over. It's that continual uh, uh, gnawing and continual day by day. Does everybody see that in verse 10? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. She's not letting up. She's looking for an area. She's trying to break him down. She's looking for a, another avenue, uh, another way to, to come at him. And it's interesting to me here, the promise of sin. It's interesting um, how, how that she promises, first of all, and this is how sin always works, promises that no one will ever find out. Isn't that how sin works? No one will know. And number two, she promises that there will not be any consequences. Now, let me, let me just read this from Proverbs 7 and listen to the verses. Proverbs 7, 17, speaking of the simple one who goes to the corner and sees the strange woman and hear her words as she makes these promises. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us soloist ourselves with love. She's making these promises of, of how it's going to be so wonderful and romantic in this, this fantasy world. And then notice how she says, no one's going to catch us. For the good man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. No one's going to find out. I mean, we'll cover our tracks. It'll never be discouraged. Listen to how she kind of emphasizes the fact that no one will discover our sin. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. By the way, isn't that what sin always promises to us? It promises us that sin's going to be glorious. You know, that's what Hollywood does with sin. It constantly promotes that sin's wonderful. It's glorious. It's, it's the best. And it also promises that no one will ever know. You know? 
No one's going to find out. You, you can cover your tracks. He had taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. Listen to, listen to this passage. With her much fair speech promises, she causeth him to yield with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway. By the way, I love how the Bible puts things right. Forget, forget the fantasy world. Listen, listen to how God puts, takes us from fantasy, from fiction to fact. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. That's the, that's the fact of it. Or as a fool to the correction of the socks, till, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteneth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Now, I want us, I want us to notice two things if we can. I've got a lot of information tonight. Really, this could be about five messages in one. So put your seatbelt on, all right? I love this. I want, you, I want you to see, and we don't have time to do this, but does everybody see what chapter we're in? What chapter are we in? We're doing a Bible study tonight. What chapter are we in? 39. I want to challenge you before tomorrow night to read chapter 38. And it's interesting to me that we go in Joseph's life from 38, or 37, 38, and then 39. Did everybody kind of see how we skipped 38? 38's not about Joseph. 38 is about the, one of the brothers named Judah. And we find in Judah just the opposite, where 39, and here's what I want to emphasize tonight, where 39 teaches us how to have victory, 38 reveals the destruction of someone who yields to the flesh. 38 is a picture of Judah and his, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and it shows the hypocrisy of how that Judah goes on a trip and has a relationship with a woman that he is convinced was a, uh, just, just, just a, a prostitute in the way. And, and, and then a couple of months later, his daughter-in-law is with child and he wants to burn her with fire because she's She's allowed whoredom to come into the name of, Ju of Judah and into our tribe. And how could she play this, this role and allow this sin? And he's going to burn her until she reveals who the father was. And he's the father. What hypocrisy. What hypocrisy. 38, I'm going to tell you something. 38 reveals how a lot of men live. It's okay if it's in the corners. What's important is that we look good on the outward. And then God has a way of revealing our own sin. 38 is a chapter of failure, but 39 is a chapter of victory. And I want to emphasize tonight that there are two things that Joseph is going to emphasize in our life. Now, I want you to, I want you to hold your place here, and we're going to turn over to Matthew tonight. Take your Bible quickly and turn with me to Matthew. And I want you to notice with me in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15. Or verse 13. Matthew 6, 13. 
And here is the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. And in the Lord's prayer, as he's teaching us how to pray, he is also giving an emphasis, or one of the points here, is on the point of temptation. And I want you to notice what he says. He says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Does everybody see that? Now, now quickly, let me just kind of emphasize that there are two portions to that prayer. Number one, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to come back to this verse later on, but I want to just kind of say this. The two emphasis are on number one, how we deal with the presence of temptation, and also how we deal with the power of temptation. Now, I believe the greatest example of verse 13, or one of the great examples, is the life of Joseph. And let me just say this, that Joseph is going to reveal in this passage, he's going to reveal how to fight from the presence of temptation, and then he's going to reveal how to flee from the power of temptation. Now, let's, let's look at, first of all, the fight here that he has from the presence of temptation. And I want to just say this. I don't care who you are in this room or how long you've been married or, or, or what position you have in church. If you're not fighting the presence of temptation, then you're in the power of temptation. Yeah, Brother Nance, I, you know, I don't have a problem with any... I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you that if you're not, if you're not daily fighting the presence of temptation, then you are in the power of temptation. Every one of us needs to fight the presence of temptation. Now, I want to show you how Joseph uh, was in this fight. I want you to notice a couple of things that he does. There are spiritual uh, convictions that Joseph outlines in this passage that kept him from the presence of temptation. Can I just say that all of us need to put up fences or walls or barriers in our life that keep us from the presence of temptation? And let me just say something. You need to be constantly fighting that. You, you need to be on your guard. I was, I was reminded a couple of months ago as I was reading an article of some men uh, who were belittling Vice President Pence and they were, they were talking about uh, how that he really doesn't understand women and he doesn't treat women equally because he would not, the vice president would not meet with any woman alone in a room by herself and himself without his wife present. And it was almost like the world was a gasp that a man would, would, would not understand. Well, he can't meet with a woman without his wife present. Present, And I say, thank God for a man who's fighting the presence of temptation in his life. Now, now notice what he does. Number one, in his fight from the presence of temptation, he emphasizes, first of all, the stewardship of his master. Notice what he says in verse 6. 
And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had saved the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a good, goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. Now notice here Joseph's argument. This is, this is inspired by God. So let's look at his argument. But he refused. Does everybody see him fighting? He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Can I just challenge you? that the first thing that Joseph uses is this, there is a stewardship, there is a stewardship that I have been given from my master. Boy, that's an important principle to understand. But what is stewardship? Stewardship is not ownership. Stewardship is where Joseph understood that I have been given responsibility, authority, trust, by my master, he, he has trusted me with, with things. He, he's not babysitting me. He doesn't have to monitor me. He, he doesn't have to hold my hand. No, he, he doesn't have to come back and check me and say, now, Joseph, what were you doing the last four hours? My master has given me stewardship, responsibility, authority, and I value that stewardship. I am not the owner, but I am accountable for what is in my life. Pretty good principle, isn't it? Pretty good principle. By the way, you're not in my life. You're, you're, not, you're not a part of the stewardship. Can I, can I just tell you that Joseph understood his responsibility. Let me, let me just say something. Let me, listen to me, listen to me. He would not take advantage of his position. Does everybody understand that David, David committed adultery, lied, and murdered because he took advantage of the stewardship that God had given him? Amen. David took advantage of it. There are things in your life that if you're not careful, you can take advantage of. You can say, well, I can get away with it because I'm kind of the boss. You better be careful. You've got a master. And you're going to stand accountable. And you need to, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Somewhere in your life, you need to realize that I'm not the owner I'm a steward, and what's in, my, what's in my authority, what's in my realm, what God has put under me, I need to take control of, and I need to use it and treat it as if it belongs to the Lord. Amen. I've seen pastors that have overreached in their authority. I've seen youth pastors that have overreached in their authority. 
and, and they, they've had inappropriate relationships. And they're like, well, I can cover this up. No, 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 no. You're a steward of God. That ought to mean something to you. It ought to, it ought to mean something to you. You're a steward of a home. That ought to mean something to you. It, it ought to mean that God has given you something. Hey, 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 Adam, Eve, the garden doesn't belong to you. Belongs to God. You're a steward. Doesn't that mean anything to you? But I can get away with it. Then you're taking advantage of your stewardship. Come on. You're taking advantage of your stewardship. Taking advantage of it. Can I just challenge you that the guy that's in the front of the store that's, that's running the register, how, how vile and wicked and wrong it would be for him to just reach into that cash register and pull out the hundreds and the five hundreds and slide them in his pocket as if they were his. And he says, well, I, I have all rights because I'm running the cash register. You idiot, it's not yours. The money's not yours. Well, no one's looking. No, but you're a steward. Put the money back. Can't anybody trust you? Do you always have to have a camera on you when you're running the cash register? Cannot God give you stewardship and trust you with what he's given you? As my daddy would say, amen or oh me. Both shoes will work. Number two, I want you to notice this fight in the presence of temptation or staying from the presence of temptation. Notice the second thing that he says. <laughs> I love the Bible. Man, it's good. No, notice, notice what he says in verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because, by the way, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Miss Potiphar, but thou art his, say the next word, wife. You say, Brennan, what's the big deal about that? Joseph, more than this woman, understood thou art his wife. Let me, let me say it this way. He understood that there was a sacredness to marriage. There, there's a line we cannot cross. Thou art his wife. I am not your husband. God did not give you to me. We're not crossing that line because I believe in stewardship. Everybody getting the principle here? Can I tell you that one of the moral failures of our nation is the fact that we are trying to destroy the sacredness of marriage? The institution of marriage is sacred to every believer because it was sacred to God and established by God. We, we've got a society that just kind of feels like marriage is a contract. It's not a contract. It's a covenant with witnesses before a holy and righteous God. And here was Joseph, and, and, and he, he was trying to help her to understand something. Listen, you are his wife, and that ought to mean something. You say, oh, Brother Nance, we're, we're, um, we're, we're uh, just two teenagers, or we're just two single people, and, you know, I'm not married, and she's not married, so, you know, it doesn't really matter how we act. Friend, I want to tell you something. You may not be married today, but you are living for your marriage. You are living for your marriage. 
And until and a prudent wife is from the Lord, and if God hasn't given you a prudent wife, then get your hands off. The Bible says here, therefore, Matthew 19, chap, chapter 19 and verse 6, therefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. And listen to me why they are one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. You, you say, well, brother, yes, we got married at the courthouse. Let me just say something. Whoever signed the document, thank God for them. But God is the one that joins people together. And, and, and he joins them together. And notice what it says. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And we, we find here that it's God. And, and we're, in a, we're in a moral downspin in our society. And one of the things that we're trying to do is rename marriage, reclassify marriage, redefine marriage. And we forget that marriage is sacred and holy before God. Joseph understood something. I'm not going to violate the bonds of marriage. And I'm, I'm going to be, if, if, I, if I can, if I can mm, be a little frank, and I know we have children in the room, but Hebrews tells us that the bed, the marriage bed is undefiled. But outside of that marriage bed, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And, and, and it's important for us as Bible believers to get back to that. And to be reminded that and teach our children that and to understand that and to live holy and righteous before God. He understood what marriage was all about. And purity is not just physically, purity is also in the mind. Boy, I'm telling you, hasn't the internet had a heyday with our society? No wonder we have such perversion and profanity and and, and, and everything else that's coming along in our, in our lives of our young people. And marriage is looked down upon because there's no biblical aspect of it. And I love the, the conviction. I don't know if he was 17 or 18 at this point, but don't you just love the conviction of this young man? Thou art his wife. Can't you get that through your head? I am not your husband. Hands off of me. <laughs> Kind of the opposite, but I'm just going to say something. That's the way it ought to be. Hands off. What a powerful thought it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Say, Bernice, why are you preaching this tonight? This is a godly group of people. We live in a spiritual bubble. Yep. Joseph was a godly man. Godliest of his family. And if temptation is knocking at his door, I guarantee it's already knocked at your door. And if I understand temptation, it just doesn't knock once. It comes day after day after day. Come on. So I'm telling you that all of us need this message tonight. And so we find here that, that he, he understood this. Number, number three, I want you to get this other conviction that he had. Notice what he says in verse 9. There is none therefore greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. If I can just add something in the scriptures there. Duh! Duh! 
You're his wife, man. But notice what he says in the next line. How can I do this great, what's the next word? Wickedness. One of the things that helped Joseph to stay from the presence of temptation is he saw this as great wickedness. There was a moral conviction, a code that he had in his life. That is a moral wickedness. He viewed this act the same way God viewed it. He was on a divine page to where she was like, well, you know what, everybody in my neighborhood does this and it's not a problem. I, my, my marriage, you know, uh, uh, you know, I know people that have fooled around and, and crossed lines and crossed barriers, and that's kind of commonplace in Egypt. And Joseph's like, no, I, I, I belong to Jehovah, and this is not commonplace. I don't care uh, what, what uh, skimpy clothes you wear and what kind of thinking you have and what all of your girlfriends are talking about. This is great wickedness. Isn't it amazing in a society that is on a downfall, isn't it amazing how we redefine what sin is? Yeah, it's no longer wickedness. Now, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? I mean, we, we, I can't believe a church like this would be having a preacher up there so judgmental. If we had churches that were more about love and more about mercy, we'd reach more people. No, no, no. Can I just help you? You know what people need? They need to get clean. Amen. And they're not going to turn from something until they realize that that is great wickedness. He didn't mince words and say, well, can I kind of discuss this with you in another way? And maybe we could kind of come to terms. And, and, and I know you kind of see this as okay. By, by the way, don't you just love how Joseph didn't even allow his flesh to enjoy the flattery? He, 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 didn't, he didn't come over and say, well, I know you got a crush on me and it's got to be hard. I know I'm good looking, but, you know, um, I really can't do this. I don't think it would be right, you know, and I, I understand you've got feelings for me and I don't really don't want to hurt you. It's great wickedness is what Joseph called it. You see, Joseph wasn't worried about her feelings. He was worried about his almighty God. And I'm just telling you, we live in a society that wants to compromise and it wants to, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, uh, you know, well, it's, it's not really drunkenness anymore. It's more of a disease yeah, and right. it's not their fault. And, you know, if he had a diagnosis from a psychiatrist, that's why he, 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 he does these outbursts. It's great wickedness. It's great wickedness. And, and you know why you've got a problem with it? Because you haven't called it great wickedness. You know what bitterness is? Oh, Brother Nance, let's not go there. Let's stay, on, let's stay on this lust. You know what bitterness is? It's great wickedness. You know what feeling sorry for yourself is? It's great wickedness. You know what pouting is? It's great wickedness. Boy, it's hard to kind of enjoy your sin when you call it great wickedness. You know what pornography is? It's great wickedness. Karna is great wickedness. 
And I'm just telling you, you say, well, well, who calls it great wickedness? God does. And if God does, then God's people have got to call that. And, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I'm just, I'm just you know, it's, it's kind of like your child whenever they go outside and they... I'll never, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you a, a bad illustration. So my daughter, uh, please nobody call her tonight. My daughter, I remember when we were pastoring in West Virginia, and she's 24. Um, once I get past 20, you don't have to remember their ages as much. She's 24. And I remember her, she was, she would run, she was probably about three or four, run through the church, and she was energetic and just going through there. And, and for some reason, we had some people that would eat candy and lollipops and things like that. And, and we had a trash can in our foyer, and they would throw them in there. And Abigail, I mean, twice we caught her licking this lollipop. And it's like, where'd you get that? And she'd go over and she goes, there's candy in that bucket. <laughs> You know what our reaction was? <laughs> That's not a candy bucket. That's nasty. It's yucky. Gross. Throw it down there. Go. Poof, poof. Throw it in the trash can. And, and the next Sunday, we're watching her. And she's walking over a candy bucket. We're going over. No! No candy bucket. Trash can, it's just the opposite. And I, I'm, I'm just telling us, I'm just telling us, this is not a candy bucket. You and I need to start labeling it and saying, you know what that is? That is great wickedness. Boy, how that would help us. I want you to notice the next thing in his life. In verse 9, the last line. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph was aware. Joseph was aware of the presence of God in his life. This, this heathen land that worshiped cows and the river and frogs. Do, do you realize that the Egyptians worshiped just about everything they could think of? I mean, they worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon, they worshiped the Nile River. Uh, they, they, they had so many gods that were lifeless and dead. They had so many gods that meant nothing to them. And Joseph is saying this, hey, I can't sin against God. She's like, God's not even here. No, he is here. Joseph lived in the presence of God every single day. Boy, if every day you and I go to work and take God with us, it would clean up work. If we'd get in our car and say, man, I can't listen to that music. Why? God's in here. Where is he at? Well, he's in the car. And that's how I live. He's with me, and I can't sin against God. This is not a sin against you. This is not a mistake. It's a great wickedness, and it's against God. And I want you to see how that Joseph had this idea and this thinking and these convictions in his life. Listen, I, I can't do this. Marriage is something that's sacred, and, and God's given me stewardship. And, and, and you belong to him. You're married, and this is a great sin. And I live in the presence of God. And I can't sin. And these convictions kept him from the presence of temptation. And every time that temptation came, it was like a barrier in his life. 
Everybody with me on this? And I want you to notice here, the Bible gives us these things, and then notice verse 10, notice his mindset. And it came to pass, everybody with me in verse 10. And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that number one, he hearkened not to her. I'm not listening to this woman. That's pretty good, isn't it? He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be what? You know what I think Joseph said in his mind? If she's in that room, I ain't going in there. Oh, she's in there today. Oh, when does she get her nails done? That's when I'll go in and get my... I literally think he did that. His mindset was, is if she's there, I'm not going to be with her. I'm not, I, I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. And the best way not to listen to her is to not be with her. So I, I, want, I want you to catch this. There was a fight to be separated from the presence of sin. You need to go through your life and you need to find the doorway where sin is coming into your life. And you need to cut off that door. Flee youthful lust. I'm, gonna get, I'm getting ahead of myself. But can I just say something? There are, there are sins. Listen to me, parents, when I say this. There, there are sins that if you can get your children past youthful lust, man, they'll never deal with that. I, I, say, this, I say this to the glory of God, and I, I give God all the glory. My, my uncle committed suicide. He was a drunkard. My daddy was on the way to becoming a drunkard. When he got saved. And, and I'm telling you, I grew up in a pastor's home, but uh, I didn't have a conviction against drinking because my daddy would have killed me if he ever saw me drink. He just had that. Can I, can I just tell you something? At my, my age right now, because I've never, and I give God the glory and I thank God for it, because I never had a sip of beer, somebody would say, Brother Nancy, boy, in, in, in beer great, I can't even tell you what it tastes like. And I thank God for that. Now, now, here's the point of that illustration. Tonight, somebody comes and they buy this big old case of beer and they set it next to the mission apartment. And I get out of the car and I walk down to the door and I look. Big old case of beer. Did you know it has no power over me? You know why it doesn't have any power over me? Because it's not a part of my youthful lust. Is everybody getting a picture of that? This idiot thinking of let our children try it. Let them discover what they want to do in life. And they've got to make their own. Friend, you don't stick their hand in fire to see if they like fire or not. If you'll, if you'll be parent enough... And you'll say, no, you're not going to have this in your life. You're not going to try it. It's not going to be a part of your life. Did you know that it will not be a part of their youthful lust? And there will be a day, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, somebody, somebody could buy 14 cartons of cigarettes and stick them under my desk at work, and, and I could look at them, and they're not a stinking temptation to that. But can I tell you what is a temptation? It's your youthful lust. It's what you got a taste of. Am I right? right? Satan keeps that road paved, doesn't he? Because it's a beeline to your heart. Come on. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. 
You know what I'm talking about. Now, now Joseph, this, this is great victory. And, and I want you to see here that Joseph is making a decision that he's not going to be worth or he's not going to be in the, in the presence of temptation. Now, I want, you to, I want you to go back with me and I want you to look at something. Turn back to our passage in Matthew. I'm trying to wrap it up. I'm trying to be fast. Matthew chapter 5 or 6. And notice with me in verse 13. And lead us not into what? Temptation. All right. Uh, Is it Brother Jim? Big guy that took... Joe, would you come up and help me real quick? And uh, let me see here... Um, why don't you come up and help me, Brother Quinley, if you would. You can come up and help me if you would, too. Yeah, come on up and help me. And uh, what's your name? Jim? Tim? Come on up and help me, Tim. All right, you, you guys stand over here, all right? You guys stand over here. A lot of Quinlans. All right, let me see here. Mr. Parker, come help me. I think you could handle all four of these guys with one arm tied behind your back. Couldn't you? All right. So what is the prayer? And lead us not into what? Wait, 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 wait. How many understand that God doesn't lead us into temptation? It's not like God says, all right, let me throw you to the lions and see if you survive. It's not how it works. Yep. I'm going to take him to a bar tonight and see how he does. It's not how God works. What should I be praying? I should be praying this. God, I need your help. I am weak. I am fleshly. I am drawn to temptation. Please, please don't anybody in here think that Joseph was this 18-year-old boy that probably said, you know what? I'm not even attracted to beautiful Potiphar's wife. Don't, don't, don't think that at all. Don't, don't think that he didn't have red blood flowing through his veins. Don't think that she wasn't trying to allure him with everything she had. I mean, she was working. So, so, so it's not like, listen, I, I need to pray every day. God, I need your help. Temptation, I don't want to go down that path. Don't let me go into the path. The word lead there, lead me not into the, the place of temptation. It's saying, God, I literally need you to, to change my way and to help me to walk in the ways of the Lord. Has everybody got that? And, and, and if we get the first part right, we get the second part right. Lead us not into temptation, but what does he say? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So the first one is a prayer that says, God, if there's temptation, I want to be a mile away from it, 10 miles away from it. I want, to, I want to go on a path that is opposite of temptation, and I need your help. I, I want to just say something. I want to just say something. It is God that delivers us. I, I'm reminded quickly. I'm just reminded of, of David's testimony when he stood before Saul 
And, and David did kill the lion and the bear, but he, he, gave, he said this, it was the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and the Lord that delivered me out of the mouth of the bear, or out of the mouth of the lion, and, and it is the Lord that will deliver me out of this hands of the Philistines. David made, gave all the glory that it's not my ability, it's God's. But catch this, catch this, this thought here. That as I live my life to be separated from the presence of temptation, that if I do find myself in the power of temptation, that God would deliver me. Now, now here, here, here's, here's, how this is, here's how this doesn't work. A guy goes down to a bar and he says, Oh God, I need you to deliver me out of the power of this bar. You know I got a drinking problem. That's not how it works. Guy gets alone with a girl and he's out somewhere he shouldn't be or shouldn't be with her. And he's like, Lord, I need your help. Deliver me from this sin. You idiot, why'd you get in the car? I don't think you really wanted deliverance at all. You know, a lot of times we walk right into the lion's den and then like, God, don't let him eat me. Well, why'd you go in the lion's den? Am I right? So the prayer, listen to me, the first part of the prayer is, God, keep me from the presence. And do we all see in Joseph's life his fight to stay out of the presence of sin? So what do we find, Joseph? We find him in this passage now in the power of sin. Guys, grab a hold of him. Oh, y'all got to do better than that. Y'all got to do better than that. I mean, grab a there. You, oh, there you ah. <laughs> it's all right. Now, 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 now I, want you, I want you to catch this. Joseph says this, I'm not listening to her, and I'm not going to be near her. Is that right? And there came a day. And I, I, don't, I, I think this was totally a plot, or an, let me use another word, an ambush by Potiphar's wife. He comes into the house, there's no men there. I don't think Joseph would have gone in the house if there were no men there. Because the other verse just said he wasn't going to be near her or listening to her, Right? So he goes into the house and he's there to do his normal daily business and all of a sudden, maybe it doesn't dawn on him, the house should have more men in it and he realizes that there's no men in the house and then, oh, here comes Potiphar's wife. And she, he realizes that now I'm in the power of this grip, this grasp. She literally grabs his coat. And what does the verse say? Lead us not into temptation, but what? And I'm convinced of this. I want, you, I want you to catch this principle. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you live to fight the presence of temptation, I'm convinced that when the power of temptation takes your life, God will intervene and make a way of escape. Did Joseph have a way of escape? Yes or no? Yep. And when God gave him the way, he didn't say, well, let's kind of talk about this. Sit down right here, Potiphar's wife, and let's kind of discuss. I don't think I... No. He looked around and he said, there's no men in here. Oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. And he fled. And I'm convinced of this. 
You say, well, how did he get out of there? He must have been this super Christian. No, I think he is an example of how you and I should pray and live. Lead us not in temptation. I'm going to fight this. But if I find myself in the power or in the grip of Potiphar's wife, I believe that my God is sovereign and strong enough that he can make a way of escape and he will deliver me from the grip. Amen? Amen. Do you know why a man can stay pure? Number one, he's got to pray, God lead me not into the path of temptation. But I believe that there's a sovereign God that knows how to intervene. You say, prove it. Talk to Joseph. That's how it works. I mean, she literally grabbed his jacket. Do you wonder, if that's not the grip of temptation, I don't know what is. And even in the grip of this temptation, God gave him a way of escape. Amen. That's how it works. That's how it works. Thank you, gentlemen. Joseph is a picture of fighting from the presence of temptation and knowing how to flee from the power of temptation. Now tonight, let me just say this. You say, Brother Nance, I'm in the grip. Then let me encourage you to come tonight to an altar and confess your sin to God. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper or make it. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall find what? Mercy. Number two, I'm going to encourage you to come tonight and get a sledgehammer out and say, God, if I'm going to stay clean, I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to have to get some of these Bible convictions in my mind and in my heart. And I'm going to have to drive some temp stakes deep in my life. Come on. From child to old man, from young daughter to grandma, every one of us must fight the presence of temptation in our life. Thanks for listening to The Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.